gonna clap. Well, welcome everyone to the Casually Profound series on the Size Eyes podcast. I am here today with Declan Burns. Um, truly an honor to be conversing with you today. Um, thank you for being on. Appreciate it, man. Glad to be here. Yeah. So yeah, we met. I met Declan uh, pretty recently in Charlotte through um, through some mutual friends, through men's groups, uh, through ice baths, all the fun stuff, all the fun stuff. Um, and so, something I want to start off with doing, Declan, is just sharing something that we're grateful for. Yeah. Is there anything that comes to mind that you've been grateful for either recently or um, just anything that comes to mind? Yeah, I was taking a walk with a friend in the woods this morning mm. and just struck by the, the gift and the blessing that is nature. You know, just being able to be the trees and, and, and nature are, are there for us always. You know, they're impartial to where we are, what we're doing. And it just, it feels great to, uh, you know, really grateful to step into a place that um, feels so clean. You know, it, it's almost as if there's a conversation that's been happening with nature since time began. And it's almost, almost like I'm stepping back into a conversation with nature. And it's just this beautiful sense of knowing and being known. So, yeah, really grateful for, for that. And for the woods in Charlotte, honestly, what a great city to have a lot of outdoor space and place to walk in yeah amazing love that it's yeah spending time outdoors for me has really been able to opportunity to center myself ground myself and be present with with nature and with myself yeah absolutely yeah so yeah something for me that comes to mind uh, what i'm grateful for is like family just i mean cliche but but being able to go back home um, to Kansas City after um, I was there recently, but being able to be there for five, six months um, and actually spend time getting to know my parents, mm. getting to know myself. And, you know, my relationship with my parents has, you know, since high school, it's been through, you know, weekends, through weeks, and it's not on a month level. So I'm looking forward to seeing that journey i'm grateful for them having a space that i can explore that with yeah yeah that's beautiful man i mean my family is an ocean away so even when you mentioned it earlier that you were going to stay in kansas with your family i just my heart was warm for you it's it's wonderful that you're excited to go and you have that space to step into mm -hmm. i love that well let us do a quick uh visualization I love, love meditating, I love closing my eyes and grounding. Um, and I think you're no stranger to that. <laughs> <laughs> so whenever we're ready, we can close our eyes. Take a couple of deep breaths. And sink deeply into our bodies. Feeling each breath that we take in. And each breath that we take out. 
completely relaxed in the top of our head to the tips of our toes. And from this state of relaxation, let's imagine at the end of this conversation, the truly wondrous, amazing, insightful, casual, and profound chat that we just had. we learn more about each other and ourselves. Just soak in that feeling for a quick moment. And when we're ready, we can slowly open our eyes and Come back to the present moment. <laughs> Lovely. So first question, Declan, is who do others think Declan Burnt is? I love this question, Sai. It's interesting because I, I do think that when we think about what others think about us, it's ultimately also a projection of what we think about ourselves. So on the one hand, it's really not my business to account for what other people think of me. What they think about me is really none of my business. I can't control it. So if I may reframe the question, is this really what do I think about myself? Likely, if I think I'm, if I have these attributes and, and I feel that the embodiment thereof, then other people will experience me as such. And, and that's likely what they're going to be thinking about me anyways. So um, I'm going to say, what do other people think about me? What do I think about me? Maybe they're the same thing. Mm. And it is a, it's a I asked a, a group of close friends fairly recently, you know, what are some words that typify me? How would you describe me? And uh, some, of the, some of the words that came out were, some ones that trended strongly were uh, authentic and courageous. Mm. And so, yeah, I, I, that, I, I feel that. I feel that for myself. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that's part of who I am. That's who I am. I'm authentic. I'm courageous. And I think other people are going to experience me that way. Love that. What makes you say those two words, authentic and courageous? I'll start with, I'll start with courageous. I've always had a propensity to want to step into the unknown, step into a space that feels potentially uncomfortable. Um, Brian had a, a friend of ours had a, a great definition of bravery versus courage. And the definition of bravery that he get, he, 
that was given was that is doing something um, without fear, stepping into something without fear. That's a brave person. But a courageous person is the person who feels the fear and does it anyways. So the, the, the difference being the acknowledgement of the fact that there is fear in any given moment, but you're still going to go ahead and take that step or do that thing that, that you're scared to do. And I feel like that is definitely a part of um, the way that I've showed up in, in this, this world and this, this journey of my life. So you would say that, so you, you, want, you say courageous because you recognize that there is fear within you and you, because of it, or despite it, however you phrase it, you still do the thing. That's or, right. Or be that person. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. You know, occasionally, maybe I'm more brave than, than courageous, but for the most part, I, I would say courageous feels right on. Love it. Yeah. And then what about uh, authentic? Authentic. Beyond showing up as the world wants me to, or I feel like uh, there's an expectation to show up in a certain way. I've always had a propensity to, um, to show up in a way that feels most true for me in that given moment, in that given time. And so uh, that often might look like vulnerability in, in certain moments with certain occasions and uh, a willingness to, to be honest about what's really going on inside of me. So a willingness to take off a mask and lay it aside and let somebody see me. And, and for that reason, I think that it feels authentic. It feels like you, you can sense or taste the real me through whatever interaction we're having. And, and that for me is, is another way to describe authenticity. Mm. Have, you, have you felt those? before or like how far like have you always felt these two words right have you always felt like you were authentic and courageous or was there a shift in your life or periods of shifts where you started becoming and leaning more into those two adjectives yeah there was a shift um i think the authentic part is was unavoidable for me i've you know just always seemed to have to show that uh, that unmasked version of myself. But the courageous part, there was a decision in high school. I grew up excruciatingly shy, really quiet, and felt a lot of shame because of that. Felt like I wasn't good enough. I wasn't loud enough. I didn't have a loud enough voice. I didn't have, uh, I didn't want to take up room, space in a room. And I developed a lot of psychological complexes around being shy and being quiet and, uh, you know, unworthiness. And this decision I made late high school, probably 11th grade, where I said, to hell with it. I'm not going to be that guy anymore. I am going to step in through that and, and step into situations that are going to force me to come out of my shell. And so people would say, okay, who wants to do the, you know, the speech on the stage? I'd stick my hand up. <laughs> who wants to uh, get on the bar and dance at a club? Okay, I'll do it. You know? So I, I put myself time and time again into these situations where I forced myself to face the fear and do the thing that, that scared me the most. Um, ultimately, that wasn't a persona that I could, that I could, uh, had any sustainable mechanism to it because it was, it was sort of outside of my comfort zone. It wasn't really natural to me. 
but nevertheless, it was the catalyst for, for starting to take some really courageous steps in other areas of my life. Mm. I love that. Was there any sort of imposter syndrome that you felt as you were taking those steps, as you were raising your hand to volunteer for those things that you may not have innately done previously? Um, in my own skin, I would say. Yeah, I would say that I would, I would walk into a room, a situation, a new job, a new social context and put heaps of pressure on myself to prove to people that I wasn't quiet. So I felt like an imposter in my own skin because later on, a decade or two or a decade and a half down the line, I realized that it's okay. It's okay to be quiet. It's okay to not have to be the, the main guy in the room or everybody remember. It's okay to not be memorable in every occasion that you enter. And, uh, and so, yeah, shedding the layer of, of being an imposter in my own skin was, was, a, was a beautiful process as well. Mm. Yeah, because I felt that level when you say like expanding beyond your comfort zone and being authentic to your true self and, and deploying that, that courage. I, I felt that imposter syndrome for me when I, so like I started my coaching business last year and I was trying to figure out what my, like what I should call myself. It's like, am I this, I came up with all these like funny names. Um, I actually don't even remember <laughs> what they were now, but it was just like, um, sometimes I was trying to be too clever. Okay. And it's like, sometimes you just gotta like, uh, there's a, you know, clarity over cleverness. Uh-huh. Right. So I like it. <laughs> so I was trying to be way too clever. I'm like, okay, let's just be clear. You know, life and career coach. So like after a few months, that's what I landed on. Seems basic, but hopefully people understand what that means. There's more and more life coaches, career coaches. So combination of the both. The imposter syndrome piece of it was more from it's like that was let's say I finalized that name in like May or June last year, but I didn't actually start working with any actual clients one-on-one -on -one until November. Mm. So I was calling myself a coach for let's say June through November and not actually coaching anyone. Gotcha. So I was like, Hey, I'm a coach. I'm a coach. I'm a coach. I'm like, it would introduce myself. Uh, uh, here's my LinkedIn. Here's my website. Here's my Instagram, whatever. And then, you know, I didn't have any clients. It's so like, well, what am I, how do I reconcile the two in my head? Yeah. And that was something that I was going through. But eventually yeah. it's fake until you make it is, I don't know, could be controversial. But I think in a sense, you, that's almost what, what we have to do. Um, where I have to be someone that I'm not to then become that person. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. How, how do you relate with that? I, I love that. Yeah, it's, I, I, can, I can relate to that journey. Um, as you know, I'm, I'm writing a book and there's a famous writer called uh, Stephen Pressfield. He wrote a book called The War of Art. And someone was interviewing Stephen Pressfield and, and his whole idea is how, how do you become the artist in the, in, in the chair? How do you produce your work of art? And they asked him, when do you become a writer, Stephen? And he said, you become a writer when you say you are. 
So there's no accolade that somebody's going to say, hey, Sai, you are now career and life coach. Congratulations. Here's a handshake. Here's your certificate. You are when you say you are. And there, there may be a whole bunch of discomfort as you, as you step into that new identity, as I, as I have as well. Right? In my Instagram bio, I say writer, poet. And I don't have a published book. I don't even have a finished book. But for me to write, I need to claim that identity. Right. If I want to if, if I want somebody to believe that my work is worthy to be read, I need to be a writer. Right. People will people will see you as worthy when you yourself count yourself as worthy to to claim that title. So I love that you that you did it anyways. And you sat through whatever came up in that period where you didn't have a client. But yeah, deeply identify with that. That piece. Yeah. Um, since you mentioned it. Um, what has been the process or like explain explain the the book um for anyone who is uh listening right of like hey wh what is a book called what's the overall premise of it without giving you know yeah. everything away a little teaser if you will yeah so <laughs> i i just finished the a couple of months ago i finished the first draft and in the writing world there's something called the shitty first draft so it's especially in fiction, I'm writing fiction. Uh, it's the, the plot has a lot of uh, curating to do before it's, you know, I can present it. Nevertheless, it's, a, it's the book is called To My Namesake. And it's a series of letters going back between a father and a son in, uh, in the process of reconciliation between the two after the, there was a very dividing incident in the child's adolescence. So it's a father-son coming of age novel. Um, and there's a massive twist in the plot right at the end. Gotcha. What made you want to write that a books generally? And then what has now come to fruition in this first draft of that book specifically? Yeah, it's a great question since I had initially started writing another book and got 20,000 words, which is about a quarter of the way through and, and that, that book lost life, but why this book feels like it has the life to, to become its own creation is I deeply identify with the story arc that the, the main character goes through. So the, the, the beginning of the, the, the premise is, is, is one of a lot of teenage adolescent angst. Um, and there's a lot to unpack in, in, in the book itself as far as forgiveness and self-forgiveness and, and, and what, what does that mean for, for us as we endeavor to let go of the things that have happened to us? Mm. Like what have been those situations? Do any situations come to mind in your life that, that sparked that, that was a catalyst for some of those feelings? Yeah. So, the, a friend of mine had actually uh, experienced something like this. Um, there was a inappropriate relationship with his stepmom, and this is not a reflection of my life. Um, however, the experience of the protagonist in this case, the, the adolescent kid in my book, is one where he becomes sexually obsessed with his stepmom. And so stepping into these themes of what it's like as an adolescent to 
have a lot of these hormones moving through your body, not having necessarily the foundation to handle the input and sexual stimulation in that period of life, right? So now I'm really opening up the floor here to other ways if you want to take it this side. But if we think about the current state of connectivity to and access to pornography um, and stimulation such as that, I don't know that a lot of people are willing to walk into that kind of a uh, environment to, to or conversation really to say, hey, what what is actually happening? This It's unprecedented the amount of connectivity and access we have to such things. And that's a journey that I've been on, especially when I was introduced to it much younger in my life. And it's been very difficult to unwind and rewire a lot of the patterning that happened because of my exposure to that stuff. So my protagonist works, walks through his life in the sense where he, um, to no fault of his own, had this huge stream of experience opened up inside of him and didn't know how to handle that. Now I want to speak to people in our culture that are going through that as well. Like we have so much stimulation that are we, do we know how to handle that? How do we find ourselves amidst all of this um, color, experience, excitement? Where am I actually in all of that? How do I find myself if I'm finding myself lost in all of this um, external stimuli? Mm. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. It's uh, obviously it's not an easy topic to talk about, um, at least for me. Um, so I appreciate the courage there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or the bravery, whichever one. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, that's been a, a struggle for me as well. Like those, all that stimuli and, you know, parents can only do so much where I'm surrounded by my peers, by my, um, you know, let's say parent, parental slash teacher figures, uh, in my life. And, but everyone's kind of figuring it out and like all these new stimuli, whether it's, whether it's pornographic, whether it's just like in knowledge, whether it's right. just like information, whether, whatever it is, there's like, I don't think humans are generally speaking at adept or we're not trained yet to like really have all those inputs, sensory inputs and like actually process them, integrate them in this day and age where we're like, we have to go, go, go. There's no actual time to like stop and do nothing. A hundred percent. And actually think about what are we looking at? What am I, what is my then perception of it? Mm -hmm. And going back to your first point about my first question about like, are we asking even the right question? Mm. All right. And what does asking that question mean about ourselves? And are we just asking something that's really a projection of what we believe uh, the question to be or like the input to be right? So it's all these layers that are, that are added. Um, yeah, I'm, but yeah, it's, it's been a, I was actually talking to someone here yesterday, um, got coffee with someone and he mentioned that there's a, um, I asked him if there was someone, if he, that he thought I should talk to and meet and be introduced to. And one, the one, one person that came to mind um, was another coach who is younger than me, um, but he's, he's an addiction coach of 
spe uh, specifically in pornography. Oh, wow. And I hadn't thought about that before, but as there's younger and younger introductions mm. to people, like high school, middle school, elementary school, I don't know, um, these days, um, the potential for that, it's like, yeah, I think that's a, a need in this world. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. It's so one thing that you mentioned was, well, I guess recently, I guess along the lines of content, you mentioned your Instagram bio mm. of writer and poet that you have on there. I recently saw that you posted that you're going to be going off of Instagram or social media entirely. So, I mean, or, I don't do Facebook. Yeah. So okay. basically Instagram was my entire so social yeah. media. So, um, what made you make that decision now? It really lies in, in what you were describing and articulating there in that if we move out just of the word pornography in that particular topic and we look at it even more broadly speaking to say the volumes of stimulation we have right now and access to things, it feels like in a lot of ways that I'm experiencing what it feels like to be an adolescent amongst all of this information, all of this access. And I'm personally found myself being lost in that piece of it. I couldn't quite find myself anymore. I'm uh, finding that I, I was framing my, my experience of life through how this might look on Instagram. Should I post it? Shouldn't I post it? Um, when I post it, I'm feeling such, it feels wonderful to be seen and to share my art, but it also feels vulnerable. And did I get enough likes? And it's just this very complex um, emotional web that's happening inside of me. And for a time, it was actually supportive of my journey in, in finding deeper expression of myself. But I found more recently that it's, it's not supportive anymore. So I decided it's time to step away from that and maybe at some point I will return, but quite frankly and honestly and bluntly, I don't, I don't, I can't handle it right now. I don't have the internal structures that I want to feel like I'm safely handling the amounts of information that is available to me on Instagram. Mm. So how did it feel like when you were, when you did feel like it was, you could handle it or you were like, okay, this is uh a good outlet for my art and my expression and then what turned to make it so that this is how you feel right now and it's now something that you need to you know prune yeah i don't i don't know that i know, know the answer mm -hmm. to that question yet Sai. and i think it was gradual initially i was going through some relational struggles, going through divorce. And so being, being able to have a platform to share poetry and share my process was, was really beautiful. I'm very grateful for that. Uh, and, some, and I was on Instagram for about three years. And somewhere in, in the middle, I, I think it started to turn where psychologically I, I, I just didn't click for me in the same way that it was before. Mm. Yeah, I think that's, that's big, right? That's, and... I feel like more and more people want to, I'm, I'm including myself in this bunch. It's like get more followers, um, have more likes, 
and increase our audience, increase engagement. Mm -hmm. And I think th those are all, I don't think any of them by themselves or on its own in a vacuum is a bad thing. Sure. Right. Um, but I think it's those thoughts that we think about that then drive those actions where it may not be fully authentic. Mm. But like we post because we want those more likes, um, because we want more engagement. And then that's the story we tell ourselves to then be like, oh, but I'm, this is, so then like it's a vicious cycle, mm. right? We tell ourselves those stories. And then so like, then that's the intention with which we post stuff. And then it just keeps going down and down and down. And until we're like, why am I posting this even? Sure. Um, and sure. I think it's I think it's always good to step away from something to then realize the value of it. Right. Without without darkness, we can't see the light. Mm. Right. That's beautiful. Um, and without there being violence or fear, we can't see the peace or the love. Mm -hmm. Right. So I guess I'm paraphrasing uh, MLK's quote there. Um, but yeah, I think the, the absence of something then really provides the, the ability to then show accentuate when it's something Absolutely. that we want is there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Have you felt like that with anything else in your life? As in feeling the extent of the demand for the thing where, where I'm losing myself in, in it itself. Yeah. Like that, or, um, like stepping away from something and then that made you realize, Oh, I uh, value this even more now. Uh, hmm. Nothing's coming to mind right now. I'm sure there is something, but it, I like when people ask me questions I haven't thought of before. Makes me dig, but right now nothing's coming to mind. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, I, I love, um, yeah, I just love asking questions that, like, I haven't even thought about before. I was like, wait, this is good. It's a good thing being recorded. So then I can, like, okay, I need to ask myself these questions. Um, but yeah, something I'll do is I will, uh, I listen to podcasts mm. and then I will pause when they ask a question that like, Ooh, that's a good question that I need to answer for myself. And I think uh, that, that kind of relates to what we're talking about, about it, information overload, mm -hmm. sensory overload, where we receive all this information, input, 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 and then there's no output or mm. very little output. There's no time to integrate um, and actually imbibe it into our identity, totally. cultivate it, and then express it in some way. Totally. And I've, I've found that I've consumed less and less content and more long-form content because it takes someone longer to create long-form content just by the nature of it. Um, hmm. And then there, somehow there's more wisdom packed or there is more wisdom packed in that, at least for me. And then I can then take the one or two things that I really like and then dig into that and create my own long form content yeah. um, from that. I guess, yeah. So I'm curious to hear how 
um, the process of any of your expression, um, whether it's art, poetry, writing, like what that mm. journey has been like. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull in another another piece which we can go down here too because it does relate to your to your previous question. You know, thinking about the absence of something amplifying when you have the presence once again amplifying the experience thereof. So I was thinking about dating, right? Now I've been divorced for a couple of years, and there's been many periods where I've chosen to be single. Like, hey, I know I. I need to be single. And it's almost this integrated period. It's like consuming a long form content and you kind of just sit with that for a while. And the expression of when you're in a place like that, you can, you can process, you can uh, reflect on what happened in your previous relationship. You can reflect on everything that's coming up. So there's a lot of integration and preparing for the next expression of self that comes in the next relationship that you may have. Right. And I'm going to link this up to the art piece as well in a second. Then the season shifts and, and it's like, okay, now I'm going to date. Now I bring a whole different version of self to this next relationship that I have because I've done this period of integration, the period of absence, this intentional absence, the cutting off of Instagram, if you will. And, and it likens to kind of the seasons of life too, where you have typically this expansion and a contraction, you know, uh, the, the earth even with, the, with all the seasons, expansion, contraction, expansion, contraction. And... Uh, expression, impression. And so even with art or writing, there has to be a, a, a place where you're sitting with all of that information and you're churning and the contemplation. A lot of, the, a lot of the, the gold comes from the subconscious, right? And so if you give it space to simply process and be and you just live your life, then when you come back to it in the expansion phase, there's so much fresh stuff to uh, express, right? If you want to stay in a, in a continual state of expansion, you're going to burn out. Your, your stuff will not feel fresh because it won't be fresh to you. So, you know, as far as art goes, um, relationship goes, life goes, it's for me, I'm in a space where I can recognize, hey, it's time to contract. It's time to allow myself to go inward. And then boom, you're going to see a new version of me or a new creation or a new project. And then that will serve its purpose and then you come back and forth i think that answered your question yes <laughs> yes it did i love that one thing i want to get into specifically here is um, processing reflection integration like that those concepts what is that like what does that look like for you mm. because i think when people say the words it's a, it's a vague abstract concept. So for you, is there anything specifically that you do um, to be in a process of processing integration reflection? Mm. So the initial order you said it was processing reflection integration. And I like that order and I'll tell you why. When you're going through something uh, particularly something that may be an acute, uh, you, you may have some big feelings coming through, right? Um, a lot of times you won't know what's actually going on. You just have these enormous feelings. Example, you know, the end of a relationship, you have these enormous feelings and you're processing these feelings. 
how how are you how do you know you're processing because you're just feeling it you have to you can't avoid it you feel heartbroken um sad whatever and, and so in that moment you can't really be into there's nothing to integrate you're simply processing right and as you kind of move through that through that stage the next part will be reflection right so that may look like okay the journal comes out or the the coherence starts to come through in in actual cognitive thinking like oh this is what happened oh this is why i acted in such and such a way oh i realize why it didn't work out because blah 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 oh i i didn't show up in this way and so you be, there's a, a bit more coherence in the way that you're thinking about all the processing that's been happening and then you kind of move through that stage and you get to the the, the part of integration and that really belies the question now what okay so i didn't show up in this way because i blah, blah, now what now the integration part is what is the action i take in order to render a different outcome than the one that just happened right what is what what is my life going to look like in order to change uh to a different version of myself going forward and that's the integration piece mm. yeah I, i think i said those words haphazardly um <laughs> but i'm glad i said it in that order yeah connect um love that well speaking of those topics something i like to do is spend some time doing each of those things um within a conversation so uh but let's take a quick you know 30 second one minute break and at the end of that i'll open the floor up to you if you want to ask me a question because okay. i really um enjoy when people get to know someone's thinking not just through their answers but through their questions mm -hmm. so i'll ask invite you to ask me a question and we'll keep the conversation going from there perfect sounds good anything that comes to mind yeah i i've been thinking about i can't remember who said it recently oh no didn't say it recently uh who said it is you become the five people that you're around the most maybe you know who that is i'm curious and if you don't want to do all five um because of you know because for time's sakes uh, maybe the three people that you are around the most and and what are the ways that they're inspiring you to become that maybe surprise you or what what can you recognize in in how they're pulling you up mm into the next stage good question i hope you're thinking of an answer for yourself too <laughs> <laughs> oh boy um Yeah, I think I don't know. I I so if it's purely by time because I think there's a few different ways to dissect that, right? Mm. Of like 
pure time like elapsing um how who am i spending the most time around technically um there are three you know there is a definitive list that is there okay. I, I may not know exactly what that list is right but you know one person that comes to mind um i won't share her name but yeah um she's someone i've been talking to you know, the last few months um met on a, a dating app um and it's allowed me to be more more casual and uh we're not in a relationship but it feels like we are but we're not um mm -hmm. where i feel that emotional vulnerability that where i can share things we just call each other random um randomly at it's not like hey let's are you free to chat tomorrow at seven it's not okay. like hey let's set an appointment it's just casual calling and and that's probably the way most relationships are i imagine but that's not something that i have with my friends normally mm. i usually want to set like hey let's schedule something gotcha. i want it on my calendar and when it's not on my calendar it's not happening for me mm. and so i live and die by my calendar and so yeah. being able to go outside of that comfort zone and just experience the spontaneity that's definitely something that i've been able to lead more into and learn from um myself so i think you know that's one person that comes to mind um i, I almost like to leave it at one though because i feel like that's obviously the most impressionable uh relational thing that's happening inside you right now and, and i think it's really cool that you're, you're experiencing like a different side of yourself through this spontaneity uh through your friend yeah so. and i i definitely have that spontaneity spontaneous side i i don't know this for a fact but i'm i want to say i'm a like of the elements i'm more of a water okay um and so i'm fluid enough so like that spontaneity Mm. but I can also be held in a container. Like I'm pretty adaptable to situations. So I can be, I can be the, you know, the person on stage and being the, um, the leader from the front. And I also embrace the leader from the back. Yeah. The, I call it the bottom up CEO where I can step back, just ask a question, not even ask questions, actually just like observe, see what's going on. Um, take it all in process it all. And then, then distill it all into, okay, here's some takeaways, for example, if it's in a business setting. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so I, uh, point being, I have that spontaneous side, but I think I've leaned more into the structured side. Mm -hmm. So now this, uh, talking with this person has allowed me to lean back more into the, the spontaneous side. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. How about yourself in terms of what, one person that may come to mind of uh, who's in your circle um, that, and then anything that you've been able to glean from that relationship yeah. with them? I've become friends with a, a gentleman in the city over the last year or so, and we've been able to go incredibly deep together. And uh, we share a lot of similarities in, in outlook. And I've really benefited from, from this relationship with, with this other man uh, to where I feel like I've been able to share pieces of my life and what I'm going through, what I'm thinking to the extent that I've never shared with anybody before, uh, at least with another man. 
and uh, it's been really freeing and incredible to to witness the fact that I'm not alone. Oftentimes, you feel like I'm maybe I felt like I'm the outlier. I'm the one that experiences life in this crazy way. Does anybody else feel this way? And the answer is, yeah, pretty much everybody is feeling and, and experiencing the same spectrum of, of life. And it's nice to be seen in those spaces. Mm, that's big. When you were sharing that, the stuff that came to mind is the men's retreats, men's groups that were that I've been a part of very recently. Um, and I'm curious to hear what your experience has been like being a part of those groups in that container, as well as the individual relationships outside of that specific container that have been formed. It's been a beautiful part of my, my life for the last couple of years to step into a lot of these men's only containers. And the reason being is that in, in a group and in a container using that word to say a setting where the environment feels safe to be oneself, it feels hugely liberating to have the option to let myself fully be seen. Oftentimes I think if we have environments where we're doing intentional work with, with men and women and, and both genders, there is a there is an awareness at least for me to say hey i don't i don't know that i could fully access that emotion right now because it, it might not be appropriate for the audience right it's not necessarily appropriate to feel rage and express rage in front of you know a mixed gender audience it doesn't feel safe it, it doesn't feel uh, constructive but when it's men only and you're you're intentionally behind the idea that you're looking to access these emotions that we've been suppressing for decades now all of a sudden it's encouraged go there bro look me in the eye and freaking go there i want you to and then all of a sudden you're seeing you're looking around or you're seeing 15 20 men and they're saying go there and you're finally feeling the permission to experience the emotion that you haven't in 20 years and you decide in that moment yes i'm gonna go there, there's so much life. There's so much that can be unlocked in, in, in you or it has been in me in these spaces. You're completely vulnerable and, and to be seen. And then when the men are still there at the end, right? For me, the narrative may have been, if I really express it, if I really lit up my rage, they're going to know how ugly I am. They're going to know how flipping messed up I am. But when you do, and, and the same 15 guys are all still there and they're all still sending you love and giving you hugs and making that eye contact with you, you know that even at your ugliest, even at your quote-unquote ugliest, you're still okay. You're, 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 you're still worthy. And then, side to have the backing of those experiences, having gone through those experiences with people like yourself, there's a there's a connection that's happened afterwards. We've been to places already. And so it, the, the channels for communication are, are really open and it can be really lovely to have that with, with friends and other men to have just open channels of communication. Like, hey, you can say, you can tell me anything, Sai. You know, probably not anything in front of the camera, but you know, <laughs> when it's off, tell me anything, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's been a blessing for sure. Love that, love that. 
has that been uh, those those groups, those settings, those containers? Have those been? Is that something new to you, or have you experienced that at all previously? I was deeply involved in the church for a decade, for ten years, and so there were a number of men's groups uh, that I was involved in within that that context, and they were great. What I've more recently stepped into is a more somatic interpretation of men's groups. So if prior to that, the men's groups and men's events I'd attended were a lot of sort of talking and going back and forth, which is really helpful. The new spaces I've entered are, they're more to do with the body. How can we express that? How can we actually get to the root of the emotion? It's easy to talk about, hey, I feel anger. Well, let's feel the anger. Let's figure out what are the technologies we need to actually go there. And so it, it has definitely changed um, over the past few years. And there's certain ways that you can create spaces to experience that connection with men in a very embodied way. You know, some of the activities we've done at Men's Liberation might be, hey, let's, let's all get in a circle and we're going to mimic each other doing these physical activities and experience what it feels like when 15 men are copying what I'm doing and we're grunting and we're yelling and we're... You know, we're making these aggressive actions in our body and it feels great. It feels like I'm a kid again and there's 15 other kids around me. So it, it's very connecting and, I, and I'm excited to see where it goes. I think it's quite a new, a new field last 20, 30 years. This is starting to be an emerging technology to see how, how can we do somatic practice together as men. Uh, even in the psychological fields, it's also emerging more. You're going to hear more and more about somatic practice and, and somatic therapies modalities mm, I love that yeah I I resonate and that's one of those the primal movement um, activity that that I've experienced once in that setting um, it was it was liberating it was like letting all those feelings emotions out and you know, of course there's the, the the mind chatter of like before I go like okay what am I gonna do it was like for me it's like oh I'm gonna do something cool, like funny, whatever it is, right? There was one person, uh, Puffin, he, he did the Dragon Ball Z. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, I'm sure he's been wanting to do that, you know? Yeah. You know, in his room and, like, you know, but then to actually be in a setting where other people are doing it and to just let that all out. Yeah. Um, I did some, like, Tai Chi type of stuff um, in there. So it was, like, you got the spectrum of people who are that or express in that setting the the more aggressive side of things of masculinity. Sure. And then, um, and then there's also the, the calming down, the, mm. the recovery, the slowing down piece of it as well. That's also part of ourselves. Um, and I, so I actually, I took a, I did that activity. I led a workshop a few months ago and I did that activity in that setting. Wow. So it was, it was just, it was a room. It was inside. Um, there were supposed to be, I guess, 30, 40 people there, but there were some other events going on, some music practice, play practice, stuff like that. But so they eventually dispersed, but then we still had like me and four or five other people. Okay. And so we ended up doing it and you could see the awkwardness of everyone else there. Um, and in the, and I could, and that's when I realized like everyone at the, or at least most people at the men's liberation were free because it was like outside it was in i think we had 
establish that safe space, that container to express ourselves. Yeah. Um, but then in that setting, it was, it was younger adults, okay. um, so maybe college age um, kids who were there. And I saw that they may not have been able to, that may have been the first time they were able to really express themselves. Maybe gotcha. they're, you know, inside at home, you know, or at school and all these like restrictive settings. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the first times where they make these crazy noises. So like I had to, again, so I think example of me being a, a follower in the first time I did it at the men's liberation and then in that setting, okay, setting the tone, clapping, like even people felt awkward clapping like, you know, around the outside to keep that energy up. Yeah. Um, and so it was, it was interesting to see it in the same activity, essentially, but in two different settings with two different types of people. Um, and and I, I fully agree about the somatic piece of it. Yeah. It's, it's... How have you... Um, how is that related to your life in terms of the... <laughs> the somatic practices for you to then how it then translates into any mental, emotional, psychological um, effects and benefits to you. There's a saying that how you do one thing is how you do everything. You may have heard that. And so really it's about access points to the command of, of your of your being really so in every experience that you're choosing to step into and you, you mentioned um primal movement now which is lovely i picked up on the the pattern of um processing reflection and then integration as far as you processing in the primal movement circle right then you probably reflected on it and said, wow, that was really amazing. And then you integrated it by actually doing it with another group, which is really cool. The, the, the process of moving into the body really brings a whole lot more online for me as opposed to just even in the brain, parts of the brain. It gives me access to a, a lot of different expression that otherwise I wouldn't have been able to to experience because my nervous system is shutting down. And so if I'm starting to run the system as a whole, as in mind, body, soul, all of that together as a whole, and the more I do that, the more I feel, like, oh, that's what it feels like to be fully present. That's what it feels like to be online, cognitive in extreme discomfort, for example, an ice bath. That's what it feels like when I'm triggered, something's going on, but my thinking and clarity is still boom right there. That's what it feels like. Now, all of a sudden, it's not about, oh, I'm really good at primal movement. Yeah, maybe I'm whatever, if you can't be so, such thing as a good at primal movement. But it's more about, oh, my kid's having a tantrum at home now, and I'm, I'm like there. I'm in an ice bath. I'm not in the ice, but I'm in an ice bath right now, and I can... The same somatic practice is happening. The same nervous system override is happening. And, and I can respond differently to my child at home who's throwing a tantrum. I can respond differently at work when I'm about to present on a, on a meeting because I'm not freaking out because I've done this before. I've done it in the ice. I've done it in the primal movement. I've done it when I'm meditating at home. All of these different practices, they begin to 
harmonize in the synergistic whole of your life. And then you begin to pick up on the places in your life where uh, you're not feeling, you're not hearing that harmony, that melody yet. And so you can kind of apply that same somatic practice to that area as well. And, and it's beautiful once you, I'm sure you, you've experienced this too, Sai, once you start feeling the momentum like, holy smokes, I can, I'm, I'm doing this. I can actually do this. And, and it feels incredibly empowering. Mm. It's, as you were talking, the thing that came to mind was, like we focus so much on our, our IQ, our, you know, what is it? In, intelligence quotient or whatever it stands yeah. for, right? Um, but we don't spend enough time on our, I think we're starting to recognize our emotional quotient, mm -hmm. our emotional intelligence. Um, but then there's also, I think, our spiritual. Yep, SQ. Yeah, I've heard yeah. of that one too. Yeah, totally. um, and then our physical, physical Absolutely. intelligence as well, right? Absolutely. Um, and you know, I think there's there's so many aspects to that physical aspect mm. where is there's mobility, there's strength, there's flexibility, there's endurance, there's um, agility, there's speed, all these sorts of things um, like balance. Um, these all these aspects of our physical body where like sometimes when I go hiking it's sometimes I see the um, or I, I guess I, I want to say this like I wish we spend more time as children focusing on our physical mm, intelligence absolutely right our the way do we actually understand how our body feels mm. and like do we actually know what it feels like to be like this th in this position for this long totally. and the answer is really no like i i didn't right it's like oh just do some laps you know so like we know what r walking feels like we think um we know what running feels like we know what sitting down feels like and stuff like that but really like um when we put ourselves in different what are yoga poses um like different stretches whatever it is mm. like different types of movement to actually allow us to understand our body better i think um for me like playing an instrument is part mm. of that physical quotient where for, for right now i've or like in the past uh so i play a music a musical instrument called a harmonium oh, cool. so it's kind of like a imagine an accordion but you're playing sitting down okay so it's like the normal keys on a keyboard or a piano. Yeah. Um, so like that was something that I had to learn. And so I would, so then I became pretty dexterous at the fingering patterns of playing a, a keyboard essentially. Mm -hmm. Right. And then, but now I'm learning uh, flute, like the, a traditional uh, Indian flute, not the oh. Mirashan flute, but like the uh, a wooden flute. Okay. And that's a different sort of physical intelligence that I need to learn mm. if I want to actually play that, right? Mm. So musical instruments, sports, all the um, other movement practices that are out there all contribute to being physically intelligent as the same thing as we would like take a course or take a certification program or whatever else to become intellectually in intelligent. Yeah. Um, the same way that a relationship or um, a job or whatever else may help us be more emotionally intelligent. Sure. So I think totally. I, I would, I'd want to lead, uh, you know, some sort of uh, charge where there's 
we lean more into our physical and somatic intelligence as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I love that. <clears throat> is, I guess one thing that you mentioned is that your, uh, that your family is, um, is an ocean up away, right? I'd uh, love to hear more about that, your upbringing, um, and how you arrived here in the United States and Charlotte. So I'm born and raised in South Africa. I, my parents are actually still in the same house that I was born in. So I'm 36, they've been there for 36 years. So I had an incredible amount of stability. They're still together. And South Africa is a, it's a beautiful place. But I also grew up in the a number of years pre uh, reunion of South Africa. So it was in segregated South Africa. So a lot of my formative years, as we know, you know, zero to seven are the most formative cognitive years of your life. It was in a segregated society. And I've only begun to unpack unpack that now in my mid thirties, what that actually meant for me to have gone through that in that environment. But it was a, South Africa is a great place to grow up and uh, reminds me a lot of Charlotte actually, which is why I was happy to move here. I, I met my ex-wife, uh, who's an American, and uh, we got married and lived in South Africa for a bit before moving over here to the States. So that's how I've arrived in America. And now I'm an American. And uh, it's, it's been a, a wonderful journey, difficult in the beginning to assimilate to a new culture and country. But about three, three, four years in, I decided there's no point in having a foot in each country. And America is home. I am going to be an American. And I'm not even going to say, quote unquote, back home anymore, referring to South Africa. No, America's home. And since making that decision, I feel like that commitment has, has really helped me to and allowed me to embellish society and, and the ways of living in America. And so been in America nine years and two in New York and seven here in Charlotte. And I love it. I'm happy to be here. And it's wonderful to feel like uh, I was... <laughs> explaining this to someone earlier, Charlotte, Charlotte's a, it's a small, big city, right? And I feel like there's a lot of space for us to grow in this place. This, this, we're still finding in an identity as a city. And so I'm very happy to be a part of that and to build into that and to, to find Charlotte's voice here in America. Mm. Yeah, there's, yeah, I, I do resonate with that. That's a small, big city where it feels like a, you know, you don't need to drive too far to experience most of the things in the city and how all the things that Atlanta does or um, a bigger city does. Yeah. But you also feel like you can find these spots that are very local, that are very niche, that are very, um, you know, community-oriented, community-based. Definitely, yeah. And make your own community mm -hmm. and not feel lost in it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good spot. Is there anything as we wrap up here, anything that has been on your mind that you want to share? Hmm. Yes, I have recently been thinking about the word liberation and how trying to dictate what that might look like for somebody else is impossible. 
And for me, arriving at this definition of when you're liberated, you're, you're free from having to strive. You know, I said, strive to liberate yourself, but really the true liberation is the end of the striving itself. And for me, it's, you know, it's easier to, to equate liberation to the breaking through of something, right? Scoring the touchdown, finding like you, that kind of energy of breaking through. But I'm in a season now where <clears throat> the liberation itself is actually not breaking through, but it's, it's allowing the fact that I don't have to break through, right? It's allowing a lot of space in between, which is incredibly liberating. You know, it's, it's, and we think about, let's, let's, let's take ice bathing for an example, right? For some people, it's going to be a liberation to step into the ice. Oh my gosh, there's so much fear. How's it going to feel? I'm liberated. I got in the ice. I did it. You know, I, I did it. For others, it's going to be, hey, I have forced myself over and over and over to do these hard things. My liberation today is to say, guys, I don't want to. And I can, I can leave that ice bath and say, I did it. I said I don't want to. And it's important for me to, to practice that in my life, that it doesn't have to look like other people think it looks. And when I'm at an ice bath and somebody declines and says no, I don't have to force them. We don't have to force them. That could be their liberation right there, right now. And so giving myself that grace to, to make my choices that feel right and it's all liberation. It's, it's all the same. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to land with that. Love that. Love that. Uh, what came to mind is I have a newsletter dropping out next week. Um, it's very similar along those lines. And um, when we say liber- uh, for me, it's, the word is freedom. Mm. And, and I think we use that. I've used that pretty loosely as a word. Okay. Um, but actually when I dug down and spent the time to reflect and okay, what are, what is freedom actually? I think there were a few different types of freedom. There was, I call it the freedom STEM. So it's an acronym. Okay. So it's like S is spatial. So spatial freedom okay. slash like movement. So, okay. Um, our, can we like within Charlotte, can I, do I have a car? If I don't have a car versus a car, my spatial freedom is, is different. Right. Um, can I travel? Um, the world versus am I constrained, uh, confined to um, the city or the local village that I'm in, for example. Yeah. So that's the S, spatial. T is time, time freedom. Okay. Um, E is emotional freedom. So our responsibilities that we have, the burdens that we have, um, all those sorts of things. And then M is money. So do we have money freedom, like financial freedom? Mm. Those are the four categories. But then what I realized is there's a two more types or two more you know, sections that then create eight overall categories, the four times two. And okay. that's actually freedom to do something mm. and then the freedom from something. Hey-o. I love this. <laughs> and so what, and it, what it really comes down to is optionality. Freedom to... I realized there's optionality. Do we have the freedom to do that? We have the option of doing this. We have the option of doing that. We have the option of traveling the world. We have the option of buying this thing with money freedom. Mm. But what you're saying of the person who 
doesn't want to take the ice bath and that is their liberation that is a freedom from that is you're nailing it this is exactly <laughs> this is beautifully articulated right and so we spend in this this rat race that's tying it back earlier to this information that's being consumed it's we want to learn this we want to learn that so we have the freedom to do this but actually when we take time to do nothing that is the true liberation that is the freedom from and then from that freedom from we then have the optionality the to do everything once again to this, freedom is, to. this is gorgeous great job tying it all together <laughs> <laughs> well yeah well let's let's liberate ourselves from whoops <laughs> from this podcast conversation and keep this conversation going um but appreciate the time Declan. this was truly an honor to be conversation partner with you on casually profound series thank you for having me on loved it it's been fun amazing well hopefully you guys had as much fun as we did and we'll see you again on the size eyes podcast see ya